good to see you guys again. Let's, uh, let's open in prayer. Father, I just thank you for tonight. I thank you for your great story of redemption. Uh, Lord, we are so blessed tonight to be a part of that story, uh, to enter into uh, uh, your saving of people and um, bringing us all the way to glory, to the new heavens and the new earth. And God, I pray that you give us wisdom as we uh, look through the scriptures and um, God, open our eyes to see truth. Uh, Lord, equip us, Lord, that, that we might be able to tell your story. Um, to, to the nations. And Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's uh, run over our icons real quick. Brian, if you'd go ahead and put those up on the screen. And if you have your book, just turn there to the first or second page. And uh, these represent uh, kind of the different chapters in God's story. Okay, so we're going to go over these so many times that even if you're not trying, if you come here tonight and you're like, I'm not memorizing nothing, okay? You're not going to be able to help it. You're just going to you're going to have to memorize it because we're going to go over it so many times that it will be inevitable that you will you will memorize it. So let's start out. What's the first one? The first one is creation. That's right. First one's creation and fall. Okay, keep going. Flood, promises, Exodus, kings, prophets, incarnation. Kingdom, cross, resurrection, church, and second coming. All right. Let's go through those one at a time real quickly and just kind of define them. Um, so the first one is creation. Uh, so when you open up your Bible, the first thing you're going to run into is, is the creation story. God creates the world in six days. Some day he rested. He creates mankind in his own image. And uh, so you have God initiating this creation of all things by his word. Okay. Then the next thing you're going to hit is fall. Uh, the fall is Adam and Eve deciding not to trust God, not to trust his word, but to listen to the serpent, and mankind falls, okay? Mankind falls into sin, into corruption, uh, into a sinful nature uh, that he passes to every other human being that's ever born on the planet, and so you have the fall of mankind into sin. Uh, remember, sin spreads, Cain and Abel, um, uh, chapter 5, all the dead guys, and then chapter 6, God's had enough already, uh, sin and wickedness have permeated the earth and so you have the flood uh in the flood uh you have god saving uh noah and his family noah put his faith in god you have god saving noah and uh redeeming uh one family to start new again here you go robert <clears throat> begins new again so you get the flood after the flood you have promises okay so god initiates a covenant with abraham and uh, through Abraham, all the families of the earth are to be blessed. So the first time we kind of hear the gospel message is really in God's promise to Abraham, that Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. Uh, your son's going to have sons. You're going to have descendants as many as the stars of the heaven, the sand of the sea. And through your family, through your family, your descendant, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. And so you have the gospel kind of coming to Abraham. Abraham believes God by faith. And then the promise is passed to his son who is Isaac. And then Isaac has twin boys who are... Jacob and Esau, and the promise goes through Jacob, and then Jacob has 12 sons that become the 12 tribes of, of Israel, right? Okay, so we got, start from the beginning, you got creation, fall, flood, promises, and then you have the kings, and that's where we're going to, uh, I'm so, whoa, 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 sorry, we got Exodus, we got Exodus, Exodus, so yeah, that's where we're going to start today, is uh, the Exodus of, of uh, the, the nation of Israel, really God forming a nation coming out of Egypt. And then after the Exodus, you've got the kind of the, 
the story of the kings, and we'll talk in a minute, but the kings and the prophets actually happen at the same time. But if you try to say them together, you have this, you know, so we have to put one before the other. So I don't know why I just chose kings. So you have kings, and then you have the prophets, the kind of the age of the prophets. And then you've got a great one, the incarnation. Okay, it's a big word that means God became man. Uh, God stepped out of the heavens, put on human flesh, 100% God, 100% man, in the person of Jesus Christ. So you have the birth of Jesus, and then you have the ministry, the three-year ministry of Jesus that we've called kingdom, okay? We call it kingdom because God is showing us this is what the kingdom looks like. This is, this is how I'm going to set everything straight, his teachings, his miracles, his healings. And after the kingdom, uh, you have the cross by which we are uh, atoningly saved by Jesus sacrificing himself on the cross. Uh, three days later, you have the resurrection Okay, the, the Easter Sunday miracle uh, by which God raises Jesus from the dead, giving us hope for resurrection as well. After the resurrection, you have the church. You got Acts chapter 2 and uh, Pentecost happening, the church being born and being spread all throughout the world. And then yet to come, uh, any day soon, we have the arrival of Jesus Christ in, in the heavens, splitting the sky, rapturing his church to meet him in the air. Um, New heavens, new earth, all that stuff at the end of the Bible, okay? So, that's where we're going, okay? So, today we're going to start with Exodus, okay? So, you got creation, fall, flood. We did all that last time, and now we're going to begin with Exodus. So, if you open up your Bibles to the book of Exodus, let's kind of, first of all, figure out how we got there. So, Genesis, Exodus, second, uh, second book in the Bible, okay? Exodus, start there in Exodus. Okay, so how did how do we get to Exodus? All right, so how do we get to Egypt? Uh, Exodus starts out with with uh, God's family, if you want to call them that, Abraham's family, Abraham's descendants being in Egypt. Now, how did they get there? Well, let's review. So God gives the promise to Abraham. Abraham has a son, Isaac. Right? Isaac has twin boys, Jacob and Esau. The promise goes through Jacob. Jacob has twelve sons, and one of them, the second to the youngest, is named. Joseph, remember, Joseph gets sold into slavery by his brothers because they're jealous of him. Uh, he's sold into slavery. Uh, he's taken to Egypt. He's put into Potiphar's house. Uh, he's, a, he's a servant there. He gets falsely accused. He stands in his integrity. He gets thrown into jail. And in jail, he interprets a couple dreams by the baker and the, not the candlestick maker, but the baker and the cupbearer. Okay, Baker and the cupbearer, he interprets those dreams and, uh, and then rises to prominence as basically the prime minister of Egypt after he interprets a dream for Pharaoh. So Egypt, Joseph's in Egypt, okay? Well, in the meantime, there's a famine, a horrible famine back where Jacob and, and his sons are living. Uh, they've got no food, so they travel to Egypt to get food. Joseph sees his brothers. Joseph forgives his brothers. Joseph invites them all to come and, and be saved from the famine in Egypt. They get their own kind of part of Egypt there, Goshen. All right, and so we leave them there in Genesis. Now, when we open up in the book of, of Exodus, we find out that it's 430 years later. Okay, now how do we know that? Uh, well, if we go to Exodus chapter 12, in verse 41, 40 and 41, it says, The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. Okay, so uh, Exodus opens up about four, I guess it would be about 389, somewhere in that neighborhood. But let's, let's just, for the sake of rounding, say about 400 years. Okay, so Exodus opens up, and it's about 400 years later. Joseph is long dead, okay, buried in Egypt. 
and new pharaohs have taken the, the throne in Egypt, and they don't they didn't know J, J, Joseph. They didn't know uh, kind of what he had done for Egypt. And, and in the meanwhile, God's people have multiplied, and so the Egyptians get to be really nervous about all these these folks that are gonna, maybe going to take over their their land. So they put them into slavery and into, into hard labor, into building cities. And so the, the, the family of Abraham, to whom all the promises have come, are now enslaved in Egypt, okay? So let's back up again. So we got creation, and we got the fall of man, and we got the flood, and we got starting over with Noah, and, and then with Noah, uh, beginning again, uh, we have the promise of Abraham, okay? The promises to Abraham, then to Isaac, then to Jacob, and then Joseph takes him into Egypt, and now they're in Egypt. And now they've been there for 400 years. They've, they've multiplied. They're, they're, they've gone from a family to now they're, they're a nation pretty much. And now God is going to raise up a deliverer in the man Moses. Okay, so chapter 2 of Exodus is the birth of Moses. Okay, so Moses is born. Uh, his family, we'll talk about this this week, this Sunday actually. His family uh, by faith hides him. Uh, from the officials, from being killed because they're killing all the male babies of, of the Israelites. And uh, then he's, he's sovereignly, providentially uh, placed in the, in the house of Pharaoh. And he, and he grows up as a prince of Egypt. And then in Exodus chapter 3, uh, you have him trying to take things in his own hands. He, he gets kind of thrown out into the wilderness for, for 40 years. And then he has this call of God upon his life in the burning bush. Okay, so you remember the burning bush incident? That's where God calls Moses uh, basically to be the deliverer of, of, of uh, Israel. And so Moses goes back to Egypt uh, with one simple message, let my people go. Okay, so he goes to Pharaoh, hey, it's time, you know, we, God's people have been here for 400 years, they've grown into a nation, and it's time for them to come out of Egypt and become a nation, become God's people. And so he's telling Pharaoh, let my people go. Well, Pharaoh is not real happy about giving up his labor force, okay, he's not happy about that at all, he says, no way, and so God begins to show his glory through a bunch of plagues, okay? So you have 10 plagues. You've got all kinds of nastiness hitting the, the Egyptians, everything from gnats to boils to hailstones to all kinds of stuff. And it culminates in the last plague, which is the Passover. And we're going to come back to that here in a little bit. That's going to be a gospel thread. But basically the Passover was... Every firstborn in the, the land of Egypt is going to die at, at midnight by the death angel unless you have sacrificed a lamb according to God's instruction to put the blood of the lamb over your doorpost, okay? So unless you follow God's instructions for salvation by the blood of a sacrificial lamb, you're going to be you're the firstborn in your, in your family is going to be killed. So midnight comes, uh, that happens, and uh, all the firstborn in Egypt are killed. There's such an outcry, a wailing, that finally Pharaoh says, go, go, get out of here. Uh, so they pack up, they, they plunder the Egyptians as they're going out. Uh, they head out, they get to the Red Sea, Pharaoh changes his mind. Uh, he says, you know what, um, that was a bad decision, I'm really ticked at you guys, sends his army after him. Uh, Israel is pinned in between the Red Sea and the Egyptian army. Uh, God puts a, a pillar of fire and cloud between them while he parts the Red Sea. The Israelites go through. The Egyptians try to go through as well. God pulls the sea back in, destroys the Egyptian army, and Israel is free. 
Okay, Israel comes out of Egypt, they're rescued, and now the process of them becoming God's people begins to take place, okay? And so kind of the first thing on the agenda there is they, they begin to get God's law, okay? So in Exodus 20, you're going to find the first reference, there's several, the first reference to the Ten Commandments, okay? So Moses goes up on the mountain, gets the Ten Commandments, uh, tells the people of God, here's what God demands of you and not only the Ten Commandments but also all kinds of laws that God basically is saying this is what it means to be my people okay so in this section of scripture you're going to find all kinds of laws have you ever anybody ever read through your your, your your Old Testament just Genesis all the way through have you ever been in like a day of Bible reading okay and you get into this section like Exodus Leviticus Numbers and man you start to think you're not going to make it right I mean because there's just all kinds of food laws and sacrificial laws and cleansing laws and everything. And what God is basically doing is God, remember, is pulling this, this family that has is, is gone to, to Egypt and they, they've been enslaved there and they've been slaves and now he's bringing them out and he's making them a nation. And basically what he's saying is you're going to be different than every other nation. You're going to be different. You're going to be my people. I'm going to set you apart. And so this is how you're going to live. And again, what, what's he doing? He's, he, he's building a nation, and that nation is going to travel along, and through that nation is going to come the Messiah, right? Jesus. That was the original promise to Abraham. Through you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. Okay, so in this section, you got the Ten Commandments, and then kind of in Exodus 26, you've got the tabernacle. Okay, is everybody familiar with the tabernacle? The tabernacle was just kind of think in terms of a portable sanctuary okay that's kind of what it was uh there's not going to be a temple until the days of solomon okay so while they're in the wilderness they're traveling all the time they're traveling with their flocks and their herds and they're always kind of moving you know all right and so what they have is a portable sanctuary that they set up and take down and that is where they worship that is where they meet god that's kind of where the presence of god is and so you have all these instructions uh, about the tabernacle now if you've been with us on sunday mornings you know from the book of hebrews that all of that was a shadow of the real stuff that's in heaven, right? Of the, of the real truths of the gospel and the sacrificial lamb who is Jesus, all right? So again, God's, this is kindergarten, okay? That's kind of the way I look at it. God's showing them pictures, you know, to teach them about, okay, something's got to die for your sin. Blood's got to be shed for your sin, you know? And so you know, they have the sacrificial system. It's all leading up to Jesus being the sacrificial lamb. So you've got you've got God forming his people, you've got God making them separate, you have the, the formation of the tabernacle, you have the formation of the priesthood, okay? If you're doing that daily Bible reading through the Old Testament, Leviticus is your hurdle, okay? If you can make it through Leviticus, you can get running again and until you hit like Jeremiah and Lamentations and Ezekiel, then you're going to get bogged down a little bit. Uh, but Leviticus is all these Levitical laws, all these priestly laws, okay? Now, so you've got them traveling around, you've got them getting, getting the law, you've got them becoming separate, and where are they headed? They're headed to the promised land. Now, why the promised land? What was the promise to Abraham? I'm going to give you what? A land. Remember, Abraham goes immediately to that land, but he never gets it. We talked about that Sunday morning, if you were here. He, does, he, doesn't, he doesn't possess it yet. Remember, the promise is coming, but, but Abraham, it overshoots Abraham, okay? It's going to be to his descendants, but the promised land is his, okay? So, so they're going to the promised land. They, they, they were there. Abraham was there. Isaac was there. Jacob was there. But then they went to Egypt in the famine, and they grew into a nation, and now God's bringing them back out, taking them back to the promised land, Okay? However, when they get to the promised land, 
things don't go well, okay? Turn to Numbers. This is a pretty crucial part of the story here. Numbers chapter 13 and 14, okay? So they get to the edge of the promised land, and they send out one representative from every tribe of Israel. How many tribes are there? There's 12, right? So they send out one representative from the 12 tribes of Israel. They go in and they spy out the, the land. This is kind of a reconnaissance mission, all right? They go, they, they check it out. Um, they, they, what kind of produce is there? What kind of cities are there? They come back after 40 days, I believe, and, and, and there's, there's 10 spies. Though all the spies agree it is a great land. Okay, this is awesome. God wasn't kidding. This, this, is, this is great. Okay, they bring back fruit that's just huge and, 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 and samples of, of the produce of the land. And this is a great land. Okay, 10 spies say, but here's the bad news. We can't do it, man. We're, we're a ragtag bunch of slaves just got delivered out of Egypt. These guys have fortified cities. They've got cities that are walls that are 30 foot thick, you know. And there's no way we can do this. They've got, they're, they're giants. We're like grasshoppers. That's what they say at the end of chapter uh, 13. Man, we're, we're like grasshoppers compared to these folks. They've, they've got, you know, military and man, there's just no way we can do it. Two of the spies, Caleb and Joshua, say, no, 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 no. Guys, we got to be people of faith. God has promised us this land. Now, when did God do that? back to Abraham. Remember, Abraham said, God told him what? You're going to, this is going to be your land, okay? It's going to be your land. Your descendants are going to be as many as the sand, the sea, and the stars. There's going to be a nation, right? And through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Can you tell them repeating that part? Because that's really important, isn't it, okay? All right, so we're repeating that. All right, so they get there. They go in. Ten spies say we can't do it. Two spies say we can. The people believe the ten, and they all start doing what they constantly did in the wilderness, complaining against Moses and saying, why did we ever come out of here? Let's go back. So they, they want to turn back. They want to go back in, 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 into Egypt. And God finally says, I've had enough. Okay, in verse 25 of chapter 14, he says, now since the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valleys, turn tomorrow and set out for the wilderness by the way to the Red Sea. In verse 33, he says, your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness for 40 years. And shall suffer for your faithlessness until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness. So basically what God tells them is you're going back into the wilderness. You're going to wander there for 40 years. The whole generation of adults is going to die off in the wilderness. And the, the generation of children, their children, is going to be raised up and they're going to take the land. Okay? All right, let me just pause right here. We're, we're really having to go quickly because there's a lot to cover. But is all this making sense, right? So let, let's let's go ahead and go through our 13 again real quick, all right? Let's, let's start at the beginning. So we got creation, fall, flood, promises, exodus, kings, prophets, incarnation, kingdom, cross, resurrection, church, and second coming, all right? Now, where are we at right now? Well, we're creation, fall, flood, then promises, okay? The promise went to Abraham, Abraham's son Isaac, Isaac to Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. One of them was Joseph. He saved them by delivering them into Egypt. They grew as a nation for 400 years. Now Moses, the deliverer, is called and raised up and delivers them out of Egypt to the promised land. They get God's law. They get the tabernacle. They get what God's, what God's covenant says is expected of them. 
And then they get to the edge of the promised land, and they don't believe. They won't believe. If, you, if you're with us again through the Hebrews series, you remember in chapter 4, Hebrews chapter 4, there's this great analogy of, of continuing in the faith and not being like the wilderness generation who got to the promised land and then didn't trust God to give it to them. Okay? So they get to the edge of the promised land. They don't trust God. So now God says, you're going to wander for 40 years. All you guys are going to die off except Joshua and Caleb. Your children are going to inherit the promised land. Okay? So we kind of go through the book of Numbers and uh, Deuteronomy, just kind of put filling in the blanks here. Deuteronomy is, they've kind of circled around for 40 years and now they're kind of back to the promised land again, getting ready to go in. And Moses says, all right, sermon time, all right? And he gives, basically the book of Deuteronomy is a series of sermons that basically say, don't blow it, you know? Don't blow it. You got to need to trust God this time. And, no, and and Moses reminds them, okay? So in Deuteronomy, you have a lot of repeating of things that have already happened, but in sermon form, and, do, and, and Moses reminds them, hey, you remember when you did this? Remember how that turned out? Remember how you didn't trust God? Remember how that turned out? Remember how you get, you know? So Deuteronomy is kind of a recapping, and, and Moses in, encouraging them, hey, trust God, enter the land, all right? At the end of Deuteronomy, Moses dies, okay? So Deuteronomy chapter 34 is kind of a transitional point because Moses dies. If you remember, Moses doesn't even get to enter the promised land because he struck the rock. Remember that? He got really frustrated with the Israelites. He took God's glory for himself. He struck the rock instead of doing what God had told him to do in his anger. Uh, he, he misses out on getting to go to the promised land. So Moses dies in chapter 34, but not before appointing his successor. Who knows? Joshua, all right. So now Joshua is now kind of the leader of the Israelites. And so with Joshua chapter one, they're back at the land again. God's encouraging Joshua and here they go. They're, 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 they're headed into the land. So uh, they spy out the land again. This time it, it goes much better, okay? They're gonna trust God. They're gonna believe, believe God. That's where you find the story of Rahab. Remember that? Rahab's a, a prostitute in Jericho who lives on the wall of Jericho, she hides the spies when, when they're about to get caught and, and she trusts God. She, she aligns herself with the people of God rather than with her own people who are perishing. And so she hangs a scarlet thread out the window like she's told. She gets saved. She becomes an Israelite. She actually gets into the lineage of Jesus, by the way, too. Mary's an Israelite, and then through her family comes Jesus later on, okay? So Jericho is kind of the first big battle. That's in Joshua chapter 6. Remember the story? They march around it uh, for days and then blow the trumpets. The walls come down. They take the city. Um, they have some setbacks with AI, again, not trusting God, not doing what God said, but overall, Joshua is a book of victory, and they begin to settle in the land. They begin to take the land, okay? So now they're inhabiting the promised land. So remember way back, Abraham, the promise went to him, I'm going to give you a land. Man, it happens in Joshua. It happens in Joshua. Abraham's descendants get the promised land, all right? So at the end of Joshua, We've got all the tribes kind of divided up with their allotments of land. And then comes the book of Judges, okay? I call the book of Judges the most uh, depressing book in the Bible, okay? Well, it's kind of tied maybe with Lamentations, but Judges there, Judges is a book of no heroes, okay? That's what Judges is. Judges has no heroes, okay? Now, let me set the... The, the scene for Judges, because Judges is, is a weird book. It's got all kinds of just tragic things in it, just 
terrible stuff. And let me show you why. Okay, go to go to Judges chapter one. Are you there in your Bibles? Judges chapter one. Okay, let's start in. Uh, let's start in like verse twenty-one. Okay, but the people of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. So the Jebusites have lived with the people of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. Let's go to verse twenty-seven. Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Bethshean and its villages, or Tanakh and its villages, or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, verse twenty-nine. And Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. Verse 30, Zebulun did not drive out the inhabitants of Kitron. Verse 31, Asher did not drive out the inhabitants of Echo. Uh, verse 33, Naphtali did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh. Um, okay, now who are all those, first of all? Okay, so who is, um, who is Ephraim? Who is Zebulun? Who is Asher? Who is Naphtali? Who is Benjamin? What are those? Those are the 12 tribes, right? Those are, remember the sons, Jacob's sons. He had 12 sons, okay? So those are 12 tribes. And so what happens is the people get the promised land, and remember what they're supposed to do? You're not supposed to live with these folks that are there. You're not. Why? Because you're supposed to be separate. You're my people. God's establishing his nation. But what happens? They don't finish the job. They don't finish the job, which actually I think is a great spiritual application. How many times does God tell us to do something? And we kind of do a half, three-quarter, you know, but we don't go all the way, okay? That's kind of what happens in the book of Judges. So what, what, what you got taking place is they're in the promised land, but they're also intermixed with many of the folks that were already there that are pagan folks who don't worship the true God, okay? Now, keep going. Chapter 2 um, talks about um, verse 2. Uh, he says, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you've done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your side. God says, you did not do what I told you to. You left these folks here. You, you got, to put it in our language, you got parts of the world in your house, okay? In your cities, among your people. And now I'm telling you what, these are gonna be thorns in your side. And then if we go on to chapter two, verse 10, it says, and then all the generation also gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation. So Joshua's generation all dies off, okay? And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And now things get ugly, okay? Judges is just nothing but ugliness, okay? You have a, you have some a few bright spots, okay? You got you got the judges, Deborah, okay? So here's Deborah, and Deborah's a godly lady. She's, she's given some victory to Israel, even though she keeps telling them, man, you guys, you bunch of worthless guys. He goes, you know, there's going to be no glory for you guys because a woman is having to lead Israel because there's no men. There's no men who are stepping up to the plate. You know, and, and Deborah even tells uh, Barak that. Um, in verse uh, 9 of chapter 4, she says, I'll surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road in which you're going will not lead you to glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. You know, Deborah's just disgusted because there's no there's no great men in Israel anymore, okay? So you, you got Deborah. She's kind of a bright spot, gives Israel a little bit of victory, but then they, they just fall back and they get oppressed by all these other nations that are in the land. And then you got Gideon. 
that Gideon is sort of a hero, you know, but he's also kind of a big chicken, you know, and, and he, you know, he doesn't trust God half the time, and he, and he does some great things, but then at the end of his life, he becomes an idolater, you know, and, and he almost produces, produces idolatry in, in Israel, so he's, he, he's a bright spot, and he gives some victory, but not a whole lot, and then you got Samson, okay, man, Samson, I mean, he-man, all right, strong guy, gifted to the Lord, and, and he gets some victory, but man, he's got this eye for Philistine women, and, and he won't separate, and he won't, he won't marry an Israelite gal, and he keeps getting tempted, and he blows it, you know, and, and then finally kind of redeems himself in the end, in his death, he kills a bunch of Philistines, and, and so in Judges, you've got some bright spots in Deborah and Gideon and Samson, but overall, you just got a big stinking mess, okay? And you, and you got a lot of ugliness. Judges is that book that when you're reading through it, doing your, uh, your through the Bible, you know, you hit some passages and you're like, I cannot believe that's in the Bible, okay? Remember that guy that brings his, uh, his, his servant to the town and leaves her in the square and, and she gets raped all night and then, then, you know, he cuts her, chops her into pieces and mails her to the 12 tribes, you know, to say, look at what we've become, you know? And you're like, that's not a bedtime story for the kids, you know? I mean, Wow. What in the world? You know, I mean, it's just some ugly stuff. And again, it all comes about because he didn't do what God had told him to do. Okay, so go to Judges 21, verse 25. Let me, let me summarize the book of Judges for you. Judges 21, 25. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Yeah, that's a great summary of the book of Judges, okay? The next book in the Bible is Ruth. Um, Ruth happens during this time period, okay? So Ruth's husband, there's a famine in Israel. He leaves Israel, goes to this, this foreign nation. Uh, his sons marry foreign wives. One of the foreign wives is Ruth, and you have this beautiful story of Ruth loving her mother-in-law and of God's redemption uh, in Naomi's life, and, and they come back to Israel, and Ruth marries Boaz, and guess what? Ruth gets to be in the story of Jesus. She's one of, one of the line of Jesus. When you read through the genealogies of Matthew, all of a sudden, it, the Old Testament stuff, you're like, that's why that book's in there. You know, that's why Ruth, this, this foreigner, you know, this Moabite, you know, that, that's why it's in there because she's going to be in the family of Jesus. Jesus is going to be in her family, I guess you could say. So Ruth is in that section. All right, let's go to key people real quick. Key people in this section are Moses, Aaron, Miriam, Pharaoh, Joshua, Caleb, Gideon, Samson, Deborah. Gospel threads, okay? Now remember, after every section, we try to pick out some gospel threads. We try to pick out some pictures of the gospel in the section that we just went through. One of the big ones is in Exodus 12, the Passover, okay? So here's what you got happening. This is the last plague. Remember, Moses comes in, let my people go. Pharaoh's like, no way, get out of here. Moses is like, all right, things are going to get rough. You know, gnats, hail, boils, darkness, Nile to blood. Finally, the 10th one, all the firstborn in Egypt are going to die, except for those who follow God's instructions. What are God's instructions? You're to kill a sacrificial lamb, the best lamb of your flock, one without blemish. You're, 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 you're to take the blood of that lamb and you're to put it over the the doorposts of your house, okay? And then you're to get inside that house, okay? Because the death angel's coming through, and when the death angel sees the blood, he's gonna pass over your house. What a beautiful picture of the gospel, isn't it? 
You know? We're covered with the blood of Jesus, aren't we? It makes me think of communion almost, you know? It's that, that act of, you know, man, I'm, I'm saved by the blood of Jesus. And so when, when the death angel of God's wrath and my sin and death and hell, it's going to pass over me because I'm covered with the blood of Jesus. So you got a great picture of the gospel, Exodus 12. Um, the whole book of Leviticus, really. I know Leviticus is a, you're like, what in the world? But but the whole sacrificial system, it, you know, when you read Hebrews, like we've been going through on Sunday mornings, you get, oh, wow, this is all a picture of Jesus. He's the better sacrifice. He's the better high priest, you know? He's the better intercessor. You know, I have all, all this stuff in Leviticus about the priest who intercedes and goes, goes into the Holy of Holies and sprinkles blood on the on the altar and, and makes a sacrifice of atonement and the scapegoat that's cast out in the wilderness and, 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 and the sins are taken away from Israel. And all that's a picture of the ministry of Jesus. Okay, so you got Passover, you got the book of Leviticus, you got the promised land. Okay, promised land. That whole whole story is really a picture of God's redemption, right? You got a people that are enslaved. They're enslaved. And, and, and God sends a deliverer. And the deliverer brings them out, you know, through through the blood of the Passover. And then they go through the Red Sea, right? Through the Red Sea. And they're, and they're led in the wilderness by, 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 by a cloud by day and a fire by night. And, and, and they're fed and provided for by God, the manna. From, from heaven and, and the water from the rock. And later on in the New Testament, we read through the Gospel of John, all that imagery is there. Jesus, he is the manna from heaven. He is the bread of life. He is the fountain of living waters. You know, all the imagery you have in the wilderness, you have in the Gospel of John as well, okay? And so you have these great gospel threads in this, this uh, story of the Exodus, okay? All right, next, kings and prophets. Now, if you'll notice, these are separate in our, in our chapters. We say kings, and then we say prophets, okay? I'm going to do them together, okay? And the reason I'm going to do them together is because they occur together in the scriptures, okay? They occur, they occur together in the scriptures, and, and so it would just be kind of a big pain. We'd just have to go through and do the kings, and then we'd have to go back and do the prophets, and I think it'll be more helpful for you to see how they line up together, okay? So, First um, Samuel. So after Ruth, you've got the book of 1 Samuel, okay? So in Samuel, it opens up with a story of Hannah who doesn't, who can't have children. Um, she's praying to God to give her a child. She says, God, if you give me a child, I'll give him back to you. And God gives her a child, and that child is Samuel, okay? And, and Samuel is, is the opposite of Eli and his sons, okay? Eli and his sons are kind of the priests at this time, and Eli is okay, uh, but he's a permissive father. He won't control his boys, and his boys are as rotten as they get, okay? And uh, God is, is, is angry with Eli and with his sons because they're profaning the sacrifice. They're sleeping with the women at the temple. They're, they're, they're abusing uh, their authority as priests, and so God kills them all in one day. Just they, they go out and they take the ark with them to battle the Philistines, and, and the, the sons die. When the word gets back to Eli, uh, Eli is a guy that likes Twinkies. He's, he's really heavy. And uh, so when he hears the word, he falls off the bench and breaks his neck. True story. You guys think I'm making some of this up? I'm not making it up. Um, it's in the Bible, okay? So all three of them die. One day, bam. Okay, Samuel kind of takes over as the first prophet, okay? Kind of the first official prophet of the Lord, all right? So they're trucking along pretty good. 
Uh, Samuel is leading the people. It's kind of a theocracy at this time. God is their king. But the people start looking around saying, you know what? Everybody else got a king. You know, the Philistines, they got a king. And the Moabites, they got a king. And all of our neighbors, they got kings. We want a king. Samuel says, that's not going to be a good idea, guys. The king's going to oppress you and he's going to take your sons. He's going to tax you to death. We don't care. We want a king. All right. So God says, hey, listen to them, Samuel. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And so God gives them the first of many kings. The first king is Saul. Saul's a handsome guy, tall. Have you noticed that a lot of the tall folks in the Bible are not good guys? Okay. Goliath, Saul. In general, short guys are just better, you know? Uh, David, Zacchaeus. Just, these are just tidbits of information for you. Uh, anyway, so Saul's a head above everybody. Saul handsome. Everybody thinks, well, he's a great guy. Uh, Saul didn't turn out very good. He does not listen uh, to the Lord. Uh, he doesn't follow the Lord. He gets nervous. He, he, uh, he makes some crucial mistakes. The first one is that uh, he's supposed to wait for Samuel. Samuel's going to offer the sacrifice before they go into war. Um, Samuel's not there. He's a little late. The war's getting ready to start. I always wonder kind of how that thing worked, you know. Hey, we'll start at 10. I don't know. You know, anyway, Samuel gets nervous, and so he goes ahead and offers a sacrifice. And, and Samuel shows up, what in the world, you know. And then the second thing he, he does that's really bad is God tells him, I want you to wipe out the Amalekites, you know. Um, their iniquity has come due. God says, I've been watching them for hundreds of years. Um, they, they live in sin. They're brutal. They're, you know, the, my punishments come, come upon them, and you're going to be my instrument of punishment. That was Israel's role many times in the Old Testament. And uh, you're going you're gonna to wipe out everything. Well, Saul goes in. He doesn't wipe out everything. He saves the king kind of as a trophy, you know, and then he, he, he saves the, the best of the flocks and the best of the, you know, to so, supposedly sacrifice to the Lord. Samuel shows up, says, man, can't you do what God told you to do? God gave you this victory. He gave you clear instructions. You're not being obedient. You know, Saul puts it over on the people. It's their fault, you know. And so Samuel comes in. He hacks up King Agag and, and, uh, um, and basically goes then to anoint David. So David gets anointed as king. Now, David's an interesting story because he's anointed as king long before he ever actually takes the place of king, okay? So David's anointed while he's a shepherd boy, okay? But then you have you have Saul still reigning for quite some time, okay? And it's a beautiful picture because David really lives out this picture of humility. In many ways, David is a Christ picture as well in the Bible. And he lives out this picture of, of humility before the Lord. And so... Uh, so David is uh, anointed as king, but he's still a shepherd boy. Uh, he kind of gets recruited to Saul's palace, plays a harp for Saul, and Saul's tormented. You have the great story of David and Goliath. Okay, David begins kind of his military career uh, in slaying Goliath, the the, uh, the giant of the Philistines. And then you have kind of a whole bunch of, uh, of great stories about David um, not taking the throne for himself, but waiting until God gave it to him. Okay? Saul gets end up getting killed in battle along with Jonathan, along with Saul's army, and David cakes over the kingdom in 2 Samuel 2. So if you move ahead to 2 Samuel, and by the way, um, well, we'll get there in a minute. Okay, 2 Samuel 2 is when David takes over the kingdom. Now, interesting thing about David's life, okay? First part of David's life, man, it's just stellar, okay? It is just fantastic. It's just victory after victory, godliness after godliness, and then you got 2 Samuel 11, okay? 
And David, for the first time, doesn't go out to war, which is kind of his God-given calling, but he stays home. Uh, David stays home. He's up on the palace, taking him a little siesta in the afternoon, nothing really to do. He's not engaged in the work of the Lord. He's up on the roof. He sees a woman bathing. She's really beautiful. He says, hey, I'd like to meet that gal, brings her to the palace, takes advantage of her, uh, has a sexual relationship with her. And uh, God sends Nathan the prophet and says, man, David, you, you have sinned against me. David ends up killing uh, her husband through the military, sends him to the front lines to kind of cover his sin. Nathan confronts David. And, and, and God forgives David, but David, the sword's going to be in your house the rest of your family. Now, so 2 Samuel is a much darker book, okay? You got a lot of bad stuff happening in David's family because of his sin. Great example of, will our sin be forgiven by the Lord if we come in repentance? You better believe it will. And David's sin was forgiven. But David had a lot of consequences because of that sin, okay? So his family is just kind of riddled with problems in 2 Samuel, okay? So you got David kind of finishing up his reign, and then you got Solomon being anointed king, and that is in 2 Kings chapter 1. Now, here's what I want to tell you about 2 Kings. If you're reading through your Bible, 1 and 2 Kings are parallel to 1 and 2 Chronicles, okay? 1 and 2 Kings are parallel to 1 and 2 Chronicles, and so they're, they're, they're essentially the same stories told from a different perspective, Okay? So you're going to find that if you find some repeat there, that, that's the reason for that. So in uh, 2, 2 Kings 1, uh, you've got Solomon appointed king. Now let's stop right there and let's fill in some blanks. Book of Psalms, that is your, uh, your hymn book of the Old Testament, okay? Now when were the Psalms written? Well, many of the Psalms were written by David, okay? So the time period we just went through, that's when many of your psalms got written. Now, they weren't all written by David. There were other psalms as well, but many of them were written by David, and so they would fall into that, that time period, okay? Now, with the king, with Solomon, his son, becoming king, okay, now you've got, now you've got the book of Proverbs, the book of Song of Solomon, and the book of Ecclesiastes. Brian, would you kick on that, AC? Would you crank that down a little bit for me, please? So you got, um, you got Proverbs, Song of Solomon, and Ecclesiastes all being written by Solomon. And they're kind of they're interesting books because Proverbs is all a daddy talking to his boy, okay? So Proverbs is, son, it's, it's a great book for parenting. Man, if you want a great book for parenting, Proverbs is just this book of wisdom. Here's what I want my son to know, okay? So Proverbs is kind of the book of, of parenting, okay? Song of Solomon is Solomon talking to his sweetie, okay? It's Solomon talking to his honey, and so it's kind of a romantic book, and uh, lots of romance pictures in the Song of Solomon. In fact, uh, Jewish boys were not allowed to read it until they were 12, until they had their, their bar mitzvah, because, you know, if, if you follow the imagery closely, it's pretty graphic. And uh, so you got kind of a book of marriage in the Bible. And then Ecclesiastes is Solomon's writing in his old age. Um, by the way, Solomon... Didn't finish well. Began really well. Um, but again, man, when you don't follow everything God told you to do, you, you, you mess up. And so God had told the kings of Israel, all right, I know every other king around you, they got a whole harem full of women. You're not to do that, okay? You're not, you're not to multiply wives. What does Solomon do? Well, man, it's politically correct. Man, I've got to do this to form political alliances, you know, it's just pressed upon me, you know, it's my, it's my duty as king, and so he ends up with a whole gob of wives and even more concubines, and in his old age, they turn his heart away from the Lord, and he, he, he commits idolatry, so he doesn't finish well, so the book of Ecclesiastes is pretty cynical, okay, 
It, it's it's a cynical book of their vanity, vanity, all is vanity except following Jesus, basically, is, is the story of the, of the book Ecclesiastes. So those three fit into the reign of Solomon. All right. Now, something very important happens in 2 Kings. Let me find it here. No, 1 Kings 12. You know what? I, I told you it's wrong, and I think it's wrong in your book as well. Hey, uh, take note in your book. Solomon is anointed king in 1 Kings 1. Does your book say 2 Kings? Okay. Does it say 1 Kings? Okay, I think my, my notes are wrong. Okay, that's right. That's right. Okay, so 1 Kings 1. I, I think I was telling you 2 Kings. I'm sorry. So Sol Solomon's appointed king 1 Kings 1. Okay, and then... Then in 1 Kings 12, something interesting happens that's going to shape the rest of, of Israel's history, okay? Here's what happens. Solomon dies. His son, Rehoboam, takes the throne, okay? Now, Solomon was the wealthiest king of Israel, riches, cities, splendor, but there, there comes a price for that, and the price was he taxed the snot out of Israel, Okay? And he, and, he, and he took their sons, made them work. I mean, you know, that. so Israel was pretty highly taxed under Solomon, all right? So Solomon's son, Rehoboam, becomes king, all right? And, and, and so the people, especially the northern tribes, come down and they're like, all right, Rehoboam, we'll follow you just like we followed your dad, but you got you got to ease up a little bit. Man, we, we are dying under this taxation, all right? So Rehoboam says, let me think about that a second. And I'll get back to you, all right? And so he goes to the to the old guys, okay? To the, the advisor guys, senior adults, okay? He goes to his joy ministry. And, and, and they tell him, hey, you know what? You need to listen to him. You, you, need, you need to not tax the people so much. You need, you need to love them. You need, you need to tell them, you know, hey, I'm, I'm going to be for you. I'm going to bless you. And then they'll follow you just like they followed your father. He's like, okay, all right. And then he calls the young guys in. Guys he went to college with, right? And he says, what do you guys think? And they're like, what? You know, you're not going to be no sissy. You know, you tell them that, you know, your your middle, your little finger is going to be as thick as, as your dad's thigh, I think is actually the way the way they tell him to do it. And, and they say, you know, he he whipped you with uh, with cords. Well, you're going to whip him with scorpions, I think. It's just this imagery. It's cool. You read it. And so Rayboam's like, I like that better. And so he goes and tells them that. They're like, we're out, we're done. Ten tribes split off, okay? So now you've got Israel divided, okay? You've got ten tribes, the northern ten tribes, forming their own kind of nation, and you've got Judah and Benjamin in the south, kind of the existing Israel, what was Israel, okay? So you got ten and two, okay? Rehoboam tries to bring them back together, not successfully, all right? And so from now on, okay, you're going to have the northern tribe and the southern tribe. Now, this gets confusing as you read through your Bible because the northern tribe is sometimes called Samaria, okay? Samaria is the capital city, basically, the most prominent city of the northern tribe. So it would be equivalent to if, if, if someone says, you know, I can't believe what Washington is doing, what are they saying? They're talking about America, right? They're talking about Washington, D.C., okay? It's kind of like that. 
All right, so you got, you got the northern tribe being called the northern tribe. They're, they're called Israel sometimes. They're called Samaria. They're called Ephraim even. Ephraim is kind of the principal tribe. So through, as you read through the prophets, you're going to see them called different things. I don't want you to be confused about that. The southern tribe, it is called Judah mostly, okay, because that's the principal tribe. And it's also called by Jerusalem. Many times when the prophets accuse Jerusalem, they're talking about the southern kingdom, right? Everybody clear on that? So kingdom divides right here, okay? You got 10 tribes in the north, two tribes in the south, and they stay that way um, until the exile, okay? And so what you have next in, in First and Second Kings is you have a succession of a whole bunch of really kind of lousy kings with a few good ones intermixed, okay? Michelle has got you some graphics in your book, okay? If you look through your book there, um, she has a list of all the kings, both northern tribe and the southern tribe. And so what you're going to find as you go through First and Kings is, you know, this guy was king of the north, this guy was king of the south, and then he died, and then his son took over. And, you know, sometimes they lasted a few days. Sometimes they reigned for 30, 40 years, you know, just, just different, different, different settings, okay? Now, all right, let's, let's pause on the kings, okay? Can we push the pause button there? All right. Now let's pick back up with the prophets. So you had Samuel, the first prophet, okay? And now you've got two kind of biggies coming in with Elijah and then Elisha, okay? So Elijah, and both these guys are, are characterized by a bunch of miracles, okay? They're, what you're going to find in the Bible is that there's, there's a few kind of little spots where all the miracles occur, okay? You notice that? You got Moses, lots of them occurring there. You got Elijah and Elisha, a whole bunch occurring there. You got the ministry of Jesus, a whole bunch occurring there. And you got the very early church, Peter, Paul, and a bunch occurring there. But really most everywhere else in the Bible for the thousands of years, you don't see a whole lot, you know, which is why kind of if, if you read the Bible and your idea is we ought to be seeing miracles all, all the time, that's really not the experience of the scriptures, you know. You have the kind of these pockets when God has proven a point usually. Um, he's verifying something, right? And so with Elijah and Elisha, you got a whole bunch of cool miracles, okay? You got you got a whole bunch of just supernatural events. Um, famous story about Elijah is the prophets of Baal. Remember that? Um, he's like, all right, Israel, you got to settle this deal. You keep worshiping Baal and trying to worship God at the same time. We're going to find out who's the real who's the real God. So you build your altar, I'll build mine, and we'll see who, who's the real God. We'll call fire from heaven. Who's ever got answers by fire, that's the real God. So the 500 prophets of Baal, they build their altar. They chant around, cut themselves all day long. Elijah mocks them. Uh, he says some really funny stuff. You know, I think Baal's in the bathroom. We need to cry, you know, call out harder. You know, maybe he's taking a nap, you know. And so they, they call out, no fire from heaven. Elijah builds the altar, okay, 12 stone, you know, builds the altar back up. Praise God, fire comes down from heaven, wipes, wipes out the sacrifice, licks up all the water. He's poured a bunch of water on it just to make a point. And then he goes and hacks down all the prophets of Baal on the edge of the river, okay? And this is during the reign of Ahab and Jezebel, okay? Remember Jezebel, pretty wicked gal. Um, she comes after Elijah. So you got Elijah doing all these miraculous things, and then you got him going to heaven in a pretty spectacular way, you know? He goes to heaven in a chariot of fire, and Elisha takes his place. And uh, the same kind of miraculous spirit is on Elisha as well. You got him raising... Uh, the Shunammite son from the dead. Um, you just got a whole bunch of signs and, and a whole bunch of cool stuff, okay? Around this time and after, 
you have a bunch of the prophetic books being written. Okay, so Isaiah is kind of written at the end of, of this era. Hosea, Amos, Jonah, Micah, those are all written kind of at the end of the king's era. Okay, and then in, in 722 B.C., and you can find this in the scriptures in 2 Kings 17, you have a pretty significant thing happening. The northern kingdom gets destroyed. Okay? So, through all the kings and through all the prophets, you have God saying, quit worshiping idols. Quit worshiping idols. Come back to me. I'm your only God. They'll come back a little bit. There'll usually be these little mini revivals, and then they'll get sucked right back in. You know? They, 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 they repent, and then they turn back. And they repent, and then they turn back. Okay? So, finally, in 722, God's had enough of the northern kingdom. Assyria comes in. Wipes them out, takes them into exile, okay? So 722, the 10 northern tribes get taken out. So now all you have is the southern two tribes, okay? And now you've got the prophetic ministries of like Jeremiah and Nahum and Habakkuk and Zephaniah, um, all those. And then in 586 BC, you've got the southern kingdom falling, okay? So the northern kingdom falls in 722, 586, the southern kingdom falls. It falls to Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, okay? If you, if you were here through our Daniel series, end of last year, that was all happening. Nebuchadnezzar coming in, wiping out Jerusalem, taking them. Remember, he took Daniel and a bunch of the guys. They were the first kind of exiles back to Babylon, puts them into service into Babylon. And so after 586, you've got all of Israel in exile, okay? You've got them all in exile, okay? Assyria kind of took took over the northern kingdom, brought them back to, and, and, and settled them. And then in 586, the, 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 the southern kingdom goes into exile, and, and Babylon takes over Assyria, and Babylon's kind of the world power at this time. And so you have what's called the exile. Okay, Now, the exile is basically God takes his people into exile as punishment, Okay, delivers them into the hand of their enemies. And then uh, and while they're in exile, you have the ministry of like Daniel, you have the ministry of Ezekiel. Uh, you have the ministry of Esther. She didn't really have a ministry, but you know, the story of Esther. Remember the story of Esther? It happens in the when, when the Israelites are in, in, now Persia has come in, okay? So Assyria is the big player, okay? They take over the northern kingdom. Babylon comes in, swallows them up, scoops up the southern kingdom, okay? Persia and uh, the Medo-Persian Empire comes in. Remember, remember the story of Daniel, handwriting on the wall, you know? Uh, meeny, meeny, tickle, your days of, or your, uh, you've been waiting the balances and found wanting. Tonight you're going to lose a kingdom. Medes and Persians come in. They come in through, uh, uh, they, they dam up the river and they come in under the, under the wall. That's the historical aspect of that. Take over the city in the night, hardly without a shot being fired. They didn't have guns. A sword being slung, whatever. Um, takes over that. And so, so, so now Persia is in control. And that's where you have the story of Esther, you know? Um, Vashti offends the, the, the king of, uh, of Persia because she won't come and parade herself in front of all of his drunk buddies. And so uh, he, he's looking for a new queen, has a beauty contest, picks Esther. Uh, Esther becomes the king. At the same time, um, the, uh, the Israelites are under attack by a, a wicked guy named, um, why am I drawing a blank? Help me. Haman? Haman. Haman. And uh, Esther is able to be at, the critical moment where she appeals to the king and saves God's people. Remember our original last week, how we talked about the promise comes to Abraham 
and, and you know, through your family, all all the nation, all the world, families of the world are gonna be blessed. And the whole rest of the Old Testament, you get all these attacks, you know, and you almost see God's people getting wiped out, and you're like, ah, you know, and then God rescues them. Okay, so Esther falls into that time period. Then after 70 years, they start the exile back. Okay, so now you got the ministries of Ezra and Nehemiah. Okay. Uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, really cool stories. They, they, uh, Nehemiah's cupbearer of the king. He goes to the king. Hey, man, I want to go back, rebuild the wall. And the king's like, you know what? I'm going to let you go back, and I'm going to pay for it. You know, God's hand on them. And, and so now they're going back. Okay, so now they're all in exile. Now they're starting to come back. They rebuild the wall. They rebuild the temple. They, 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 they speak God's truth all again, okay? And so you got the prophetic ministries of, of Obadiah, Zechariah, Haggai, Joel, Malachi, all of those are, are ministering in there. And then after Malachi, you got 400 years, basically, of crickets, okay? No prophet, no, no book of the Bible, no revelation. Um, you got things happening, like, but we don't know about them from the Bible. But if you read history, you got the Maccabean revolts and things like that. But basically, you got crickets, nothing, no prophet, no nothing. Then all of a sudden, you got this dude coming out in the middle of the wilderness wearing, wearing, you know, camel's hair and a leather belt, eating bugs, and saying, "Repent, for the kingdom of God's at hand." John the Baptist. So it's kind, of, it's kind of cool because you got nothing for a long time. And then here you got John the Baptist coming saying, prepare the way, the king's coming. And then you got the birth of Jesus. And we'll talk about that next time, okay? So under kings and prophets, we got key people, Samuel, Saul, David, Solomon, Elijah, Elisha, Daniel, Isaiah. Those are kind of the key players um, in kings and prophets. Gospel threads, go to gospel threads section. Under kings and prophets, we've got um, things like David. I think David is a picture uh, and, and the New Testament supports this because every time it talks about Jesus, it talks about him being from the from the uh, a king like David, you know, a king from the tribe of Judah. You got a great story in 2 Kings 5 about a guy named Naaman, okay? That's a great gospel picture. Uh, Naaman is a leper. He's a foreigner, but he's got this slave girl from Israel. Uh, Naaman's gone in. Probably, they probably killed her family, took her as a, as a hostage, as a slave, and you got this little girl growing up in this foreign foreign dignitary's house and this guy's got leprosy you're going to find in the, in, the, in the old testament and new testament leprosy is a sign for sin it's kind of a, a symbol of sin uh kind of a metaphor and uh and this little girl says hey if you knew about the prophet who's in israel that god could save you from your leprosy naaman believes her he goes to israel he finds the prophet uh the prophet tells him i'll tell you what you need to do go go wash in the river jordan Seven times, you'll be clean. Naaman's like, what? That's stupid. You know, I thought you were going to like come do some hocus pocus, you know? And you're, you're telling me I'm a big guy. I'm, I'm, I'm a military leader. And I'm, we're, the, we're the imposing power over you. And you're telling me that go wash in your dirty river. And finally, his, his, his servants convince him, hey, just listen to the prophet. He goes and washes. God makes him clean. So it's kind of a picture of everybody that reads that, usually preaches that, preaches it as a picture of salvation. You got 2 Samuel 9. I think, this is my opinion, I, I know probably other people don't think this because I don't, I don't hear a lot of people preaching it, but I think 2 Samuel 9 is the most beautiful picture of grace in the entire Old Testament, okay? Uh, let me tell you the story real quick. I know we're just running through these. I know, but remember, we got overview, okay? 2 Samuel 9 is during the reign of David, okay? So remember, Saul, 
was was try, tried to kill David for years, okay? Because he knew David was going to be the next king, and Saul was a wicked guy by this point. And David would never take his revenge against Saul. He would always just run and wait for God to exalt him, okay? But finally, God takes out Saul. David becomes king. And then David says to his servants, he's like, who's left in Saul's family? Because I, I want to bless them. How about that? Is that the way you feel about your enemies, you know? Those people that, that, that try to grind you into the dirt for decades, you know? Is that your heart? Hey, who, who's left in their family? Let's bless them. I mean, it's just a great picture of grace. And so they find this one, the one guy, Mephibosheth. He's the son of Jonathan. He's a cripple. When, when, his, when his grandpa and his dad died in battle, his nurse was running out of the house trying to rescue him. She falls, and he's a baby, and he's crippled for life, okay? So, so he's, he's an enemy of the king. He's a cripple. They, they go to find him. He's living out in the wilderness, which is another metaphor for sin in the Bible. So he's a cripple. He's living in the wilderness. He's an enemy of the king. And David's like, go find that guy and bring him back to me. So they find him. They bring him back. Mephibosheth thinks he's a dead man. You know, He comes before David, and he just falls down. And he, what do you want with a dead dog like me? I'm sorry. He uses the word dead dog. My kid's like that in the story. He, what do you want with a dead dog like me? And, and David's like, get up, buddy. He says, I'm going to restore all the land that your grandfather had. I'm going to restore that to you. I'm going to give you all the servants that he had. I'm going to give you all the riches that he had. But don't worry about any of that because you're going to be one of my kids. You're going to be one of my sons. You're going to sit at my table from now on and eat with the king. Isn't that a great picture of grace? What's God do to you? You're, you're an enemy of the king. You're a spiritual cripple, right? You, you, can't, you can't do it right. You're, you're, you're spiritually handicapped. You're living in the wilderness of sin, and the king's like, go get that guy. Bring him back. I'm going to make him one of my sons. I'm going to pour my riches on him and make him a son. Great picture. 2 Samuel 9, story of Mephibosheth. Um, you got a bunch of great uh, great uh, prophecies of the Messiah in, in, in the prophet Isaiah. If you turn to the, the prophet Isaiah, let's just run through these some of these real quick. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive, bear a son, shall call his name Emmanuel. It means God with us. Um, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Remember, this is over 700 years before Jesus is born. Isaiah is writing this stuff, okay? Isaiah 53, probably the, the greatest in the Old Testament of, of uh, prophetic pictures of Jesus. Remember, over 700 years before Jesus, okay? Here we go. Isaiah 53, 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as of one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes... We are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray and turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Remember on the cross? 
like a lamb that is led to slaughter, like and like a sheep before its shears is silent, he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And, and as for his generation who considered that he was cut off from the land of living, stricken from for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Remember his grave? Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Picture the cross. Isaiah 53. 700 years before Jesus came. That's cool, isn't it? Um, Ezekiel eleven nineteen. Uh, you got a great picture of the new heart. Um, bunch of justice themes in the minor prophets. Those are all gospel threads. Okay, Whew. thirty-eight books of the Old Testament. We just finished it. All right. I think the only book we didn't talk about was Job. Uh, the reason we didn't talk about Job is Job really doesn't fall in chronologically anywhere in the Old Testament. Most people think it's the oldest book in the Old Testament. Uh, most people think it happened kind of in the uh, uh, post-flood um, days. So it's not really connected chronologically anywhere. Probably, there's probably different agreements about that or different. All right, so what, what questions do you have? Yes, sir. I <laughs> We did not leave them out. We covered them. Yep, yep. That was in the Exodus. Um, we, uh, we talked about, um, yeah, we talked about Moses call and then, uh, the Passover out of Egypt through the Red Sea, 10 commandments, tabernacle, Levitical law, and God separating his people. Yeah. That's all. Uh, did you get a book? We got books here. If you want one, <clears throat> what else? While you're thinking of one, Ready? Creation, fall, flood, promises, exodus, kings, prophets, incarnation, kingdom, cross, resurrection, church, second coming. Good. Tom, we got books up here. Saw you come in. Grab one. Um, you'll get your next packet. It'll finish the New Testament next week when we, when we come back. Other questions? Was this all so much that it's just a big blur? Yes, no. Are we are we good? Yeah. Okay. So let's just real briefly cruise through it. So you got God creating the world, Genesis one and two, Genesis three. You got the fall, four and five, sin spread. Five is a bunch of dead guys. Six through ten is the flood. Uh, God says multiply, spread out. What do they do? Gather all together, build a big tower, try to make a name for themselves. Uh, God scatters them, Genesis 12. The promise is to Abraham, right? In you, going to give you a land, going to make you a nation. Your descendants are going to be great. Through them, all the families of the world, through your family, all the families of the world are going to be blessed. Abraham has a miraculous son at 100 years old named Isaac. Uh, Isaac marries Rebecca. Isaac and Rebecca have uh, two sons, Jacob and Esau. The promise goes through Jacob because Esau is a wicked guy who doesn't, doesn't honor what God gives. Uh, Jacob has 12 sons. Second to the youngest, Joseph, uh, is, is a, kind of a special child, prophetic guy. Uh, he's betrayed, picture of Jesus, cast into slavery, into prison, rises to be prime minister of Egypt, famine, God's people are threatened, brings them to Egypt, rescues them there. In Egypt, they grow to be a nation. Okay, After 430 years, God brings them out of, of Egypt through Moses. 
Moses is raised up in Egypt, 40 years there, 40 years in the wilderness, 40 years leading the children of Israel out. Um, out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, uh, God brings them out to be a nation, okay? Gets them out, gives them the commandments, gives them the Levitical law, the tabernacle, um, all that stuff in, in, in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. They, they, uh, they go to the promised land. They get to the promised land. They send out the spies. Ten of them come back. We can't do it. Two of them trust God. They don't trust God. So now they got to wander. For 40 years, that entire generation um, dies off. They come back to the promised land. Moses gives a whole bunch of sermons. That's the book of Deuteronomy. Um, after, uh, after that, he dies. Joshua takes over. They take over the land. All is good, except they don't finish the job. They don't, they don't remove all of, God, uh, all of the pagan influences there. So you got the world mixed in with God's people. That gets ugly. You got the book of Judges, right? Um, book of Judges happens. You got Gideon, uh, Deborah, Samson. Nobody's a real hero. Everybody does what they want in their own eyes. Then you got Samuel, first prophet, coming up. Anointing Saul, the first king. After Saul, you got David. After David, you got Solomon. After Solomon, splits, right? Rehoboam makes a big dumb mistake. So you got two southern tribes. You got 10 northern tribes. By the way, the Lord orchestrated all that. I say he he didn't make a mistake. He did a dumb thing, but the Lord's hand was behind it. Um, You got 10 northern tribes, two southern tribes. You got a whole bunch of successive kings, some bad, mostly good, or some good, mostly bad. Um, you got the prophetic ministries of Elijah and Elisha happening. Um, then prophetic ministries of Isaiah uh, mainly. Then you got uh, northern kingdom being taken over uh, by Assyria, taken into exile. 200 years later, roughly, you got the southern kingdom being taken over into Babylon by Babylon, taken into exile. Then you've got uh, the 70 years in exile, the return to exile, Ezra and Nehemiah rebuilding. You got some minor prophets there, 400 years of silence. Here comes John the Baptist. Can you do it? Sort of. Okay. Doesn't have to be that detailed, though, does it? Yeah. Be practicing. You got your books? I know some of you are, because some of you came up to me this week and and said your your 13 chapters, okay? Um, Be reviewing. Be looking over that. I want you, in two more weeks, I want you to be able to tell your story. I want you to be able to sit down your your kids at night and say, hey, let me tell you the story of the Bible. Let me tell you God's story of redemption. Okay? Any other questions? We're going to be done. All right. Next week, entire New Testament. Okay? We're going to go, we're going to go incarnation, kingdom, cross, resurrection, church, second coming. Okay? Father in heaven, I thank you for the great opportunity that we have to be a part of your story. Uh, God, we rejoice in that. Uh, Lord, help us to uh, uh, glorify your name, to obey you completely. And God, please use us for, uh, for your namesake. In Christ's name, amen.